0: Well, turn with me to uh, Exodus chapter 19. So on the first day of the third month, we've read this little bit before. On the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day they came to the desert of Sinai. And after they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. And then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. (coughs) That's where we left it last time. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. And the people all responded together, we will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, I'm going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear me speaking with you and always put their trust in you. God wants them to hear him. And then Moses told the Lord what the people had said. And the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Make them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day because on that day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, be careful that you don't approach the mountain or touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain is to be put to death. They're to be stoned or shot with arrows. Not a hand is to be laid on them. No person or animal should be permitted to live. Only when the ram's horn sounds a long blast may they approach the mountain. And after Moses had gone down the mountain to the people, he consecrated them, and they washed their clothes, and then he said to the people, prepare yourselves for the third day. Abstain from sexual relations. And on the morning of the third day, there was thunder. And there was lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. And everyone in the camp trembled. And then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God and they stood at the foot of the mountain. And Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. And the smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace. And the whole mountain trembled violently. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and the voice of God answered him. The Lord descended to the top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses went up and the Lord said to him, go down, warn the people that they do not force their way through to see the Lord and many of them perish. Even the priests who approach the Lord must consecrate themselves or the Lord will break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, the people cannot come up Mount Sinai because you yourself warned us put limits around the mountain and set it apart as holy. And the Lord replied, go down and bring Aaron up with you. But the priests and the people must not force their way through to come up to the Lord or he will break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labour and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son, or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor your, any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. And when the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear and they stayed at a distance and said to Moses speak to us yourself and we will listen but, but don't let God speak to us or we'll die <clears throat> and Moses said to the people do not be afraid God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning and the people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was And then the Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites this, you've seen for yourselves that I have spoken to you from heaven. Do not make any gods to be alongside me. Do not make for yourselves gods of silver or gods of gold. Make an altar of earth for me and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, your sheep and goats and your cattle. And wherever I cause my name to be honored, I will come to you and bless you. If you make an altar of stones for me, don't build it of dressed stones, for you will defile it. If you use a tool on it. And do not go up to my altar on steps or your private parts might be exposed. Not going to focus on the Ten Commandments, uh, this time through Exodus, because we've, been, we've taken the commandments one by one before. We're not going to focus uh, on that. Um, though we will have a little bit to say about commandments and how to interpret them tonight. It's Espresso Church tonight at 6 o'clock uh, here. Um, That's for anybody, particularly aimed at young people, but it's for anybody who wants uh, a less formal church. But let's pray and then let's uh, dig into this today. Father God, you are the same Lord who descended on Mount Sinai. And as there you descended with fire and billows of smoke. So the people were terrified. We ask you that you would strike a measure of that awe in our hearts today. You're the same Lord, why would we treat you any differently? So speak to as we pray, as you spoke to them. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So I wonder what you were expecting when you came to church today. I set Tom the, uh, the job this morning of keeping up on the PowerPoint. So um, it's, uh, go easy on him, it's not easy. But What were you expecting when you came to church today? Uh, you know, maybe not much. If you're honest with yourself, it's kind of routine, maybe. Or it's just kind of, you know, the expectation you came because if you didn't come, it would be noticed. Maybe just getting the kids here on time uh, is enough thought uh, for one morning. Maybe just getting yourself here on time is, is a labor of love. Is an achievement in itself. And maybe you ask the question at times, is it really worth it? Well, today we experience the first church service in the Bible. Later on, when we get to Deuteronomy, Moses calls this the day of assembly. And that word assembly is the same word used of gathering, um, same word used of congregation. And that word in the New Testament uh, is kahal. uh, In the Old Testament, in the New, it becomes ecclesia, which becomes church. So there's a very real sense that God has called his people together. This is the first assembly. This is the first church service. So just to recap, the people uh, were enslaved. They're now liberated. They've been baptised. They've started to experience life and dependence on God. They've been commissioned to be a a missionary people, a kingdom of priests. Now God calls them to their first assembly, the first day of of congregation. And I want us just to look at uh, what happened and ask the question, what has changed, if anything, between then and now? And if anything has changed, why has it changed? And importantly, what should be true of their encounter that should be true of ours? Well, let's just look at the picture as it is. And what's your first impression? I'd imagine your first impression is, is that the Lord is Holy. The Lord comes in, in ways that you and I, I guess, have probably not experienced. But the Lord comes down in, in dense cloud. He comes down so that there's no risk of people seeing him. He comes down because he wants to talk to them. He wants these people to, to hear his voice directly. Comes down, comes down in fire. He's already appeared in fire, hasn't he, in the burning bush. Fire is essential. Fire is a great tool. But fire is dangerous. Always dangerous. Fire kind of has a life of its own. And the whole mountain shakes, and God announces himself with like this massive blast of, of a supernatural ram's horn trumpet. Trumpets weren't brass, they were just ram's horn. It says one point of ram's horn, then it says trumpet. They're the same thing. So it is, what is it like for these people? It is like standing on the edge of a volcano when it is erupting. So God is volcanically dangerous. God is volcanically powerful. Now, maybe that's not a good word, because for us, something volcanic means unpredictable, and you don't know when it's going to blow and get angry. And maybe you know people like that, but anyway, that's another matter. So Tim Chester says he's nuclear. You know, he, he is dangerous to handle. God is potentially dangerous to people. It's like he's the most kind of powerful acid and sin is like an alkali and what do you do when you put the two together you get a kind of (laughs) so when the two meet God and people there's a potential danger because God is dangerous to sin but God has called these people into relationship that's why he's rescued them because he wants them to be his people to to relate to them so there needs to be an answer and first of all, there need to be precautions. People need to consecrate themselves. In other words, they need to go away and prepare their hearts, and they need to go away and wash, and wash their clothes. And then there need to be limits, so the people don't get too close at this point in time. Otherwise, even the priests who are allowed to preach to, to approach God, if they, if they break through the limits, God says he will break out. He's referring to himself in the third person. A couple of times he will break out. Against them. So I guess our first impression is the Lord is awesome. Second, I suppose, is that the people are terrified. And that's understandable. Uh, They stayed their distance. And Moses says to them, intriguingly, I don't know whether you noticed that, um, chapter 20, verse 20, do not be afraid. It's a bit of a strange thing to say. Actually, what he means, I think, is don't be afraid to be afraid says, actually being afraid is the right response. It says, God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. In other words, this is the Lord's intention, is to come down and speak to you in such a way that you will get a measure of who you are relating to and you will get a measure of how serious then sin is and how fundamental uh, obedience is. Is, But actually the people are too scared um, to hear God directly. (coughs) So they say, "Don't don't let God speak to us. His voice is so terrifying. Don't let God speak to us directly. Moses, you go. You go, hear what he has to say, and then you come down and tell us. And so that's what Moses does. Moses acts as a mediator. He goes up to hear God's word, and he comes down to communicate God's word to the people. And and over the course of of these few chapters, over over Exodus, he he goes up and down the mountain seven times. Okay, we've got to remember he's about 80. Okay, the mountain's over 7,000 feet high. Now, they might have been on a plateau at about 5,000 feet, but even if that's the case, um, he's going 2,000 feet up and down every time. It's not workable for an ongoing relationship with the Lord, and that's actually not what God intends. God wants to show the people something of what he is, give them his commands, and then have them take them away, having seen him, and take them seriously. And so we get this little um, quote from Deuteronomy. This is later on, this is kind of 40 years later, when the people are ready to go into the promised land. Moses says to them, what I'm commanding you today is not too difficult for you. It's not beyond your reach. It's not up in heaven, so that you have to ask who will go up to heaven and get it. Or proclaim it to us so we may obey it. Nor is it beyond the sea, so that you have to ask who will uh, go across the sea to get it and proclaim it. No, the word is very near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart, so that you might obey it. So God's intention is to appear to them so they understand who he is, and then give, him, uh, give them his word so they can take that away. There's no need then, once they've got his word, have somebody keep going up and down the mountain. or or going across the sea, because they have God's word. And they know God's will, it's near, it's written down for them. But the danger of a relationship by word is that it can seem very tame very quickly. And God wants to instill with them the seriousness of relating to the living God. So the question is, how much of this encounter... What aspects of this encounter should happen the same for us today? Well, let's think about a little bit about what's not changed. God's not changed. God's not changed. He's still profoundly reactive to sin. Like throwing potassium in water. You ever do that at school? They don't know that at school anymore. It's really sad. Did they do that at school? I think they did. But you throw potassium into water, and it just kind of goes. A little bit runs around and fizzes. You throw a bit in. God is kind of is profoundly reactive to sin, and so he is potentially extremely dangerous to sinners. I was trying to work out, you know, trying to work out what's a good picture of that. I'm not sure there is a good picture. Um, do you know nitroglycerine in the cowboy films? They always used to run around with these bottles of liquid kind of explosive and you had to treat it very carefully and um, you've obviously not watched enough cowboy films. Um, because it was uh, nitroglycerine invented in 1847, it was like a liquid explosive. Um, but it was just incredibly unstable. So in the cowboy films, you're kind of like in the back of the car and you're going along incredibly carefully um, and then go over a bump and the whole thing goes up. Um, Nitroglycerin was was an an explosion. It was banned in 1867 from transportation um, because it was just not safe. And there there is an element that God is just not safe. And that's why Alfred Nobel, he of the prize fame, found a way of kind of getting this um, nitroglycerin into a form that was less dangerous. It was dynamite, so you could transport it. So you get science along the way here as well. So so God's not changed. He's still profoundly reactive to sin. People have not changed. There is this kind of hubris that says that mankind has kind of progressed. You know, humankind is, it's just not true. So we're still in danger of God breaking out against us should we get too near to him without the proper preparation and the proper protection. So there's still a need of a mediator Someone who stands in God's presence and comes down and tells us God's words. And it's still a relationship of word. And just as an aside, we finished with that funny little bit, didn't we, about the altar, about the dressed stone. Don't use dressed stone and, and, um, and, and don't use steps because uh, other people might see things they're not supposed to see, um, and I thought a helpful little comment from Tim Chester in the book. He says we don't want um, dressed stone. You know, we don't want things to be kind of um, so slick that people just look at, uh, at what is presented. So he says we don't. You don't want your worship band to be so good that people say that's a great band. Okay, but equally you don't want things to people to snigger at what goes on. So he says you don't want your worship band to be so bad that people snigger. And I think that's helpful in, in worship. You don't want things to be, people to come in and say, that's a fantastic PA system. But equally, you don't want people to come in and snigger. It's just an aside. So what's not changed? God's not changed. People have not changed. Still need of a mediator. Still a relationship by word. What has changed? Well, actually, the New Testament tells us precisely what's changed. And we're going to turn to the book of Hebrews, because it gives us spells out the answer for us in chapter 12. So turn with me to Hebrews 12 and and verse 18 and page 1,211. the writer says this verse 18 chapter 12 you have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire to darkness and to gloom and to storm or to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they couldn't bear what was commanded if even an animal touches the mountain it must be stoned to death The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. To the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Let's pick it apart. When we gather, we don't come to a physical mountain, a mountain that can be touched, overcast with gloom and cloud and burning with fire and physically shaking. There's no... Trumpet blast from heaven, there is no audible voice of God. God, God does not, in that sense, descend. But when we gather, we come to a spiritual mountain, which is an interesting word in itself, the Mount Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem. Now, we come to a different mountain, which is not actually a mountain at all, the Mount Zion is a, is a picture of, uh, of God in heaven. when we come together, when we come, our congregation, we come and we are lifted up, as it were, into heaven's worship. When we gather together, the worship of heaven and and the worship of earth come together. We come to the heavenly Jerusalem. It's intangible in the Specific, in the strict sense that it cannot be touched, but it is no less real. And although we tend not to come with fear, it is still a fearsome reality. As we come together on a Sunday morning, we are gathered into heaven's worship. So did you notice that this morning? That as we gather to worship, we worship with thousands upon thousands of angels as we worship we worship with with the angels in heaven it came up in the songs actually and thanks John for that reading out of, uh, out of Revelation we join with heaven's throne room in singing and praising God where the angels are and these are not preschool nativity angels ok these are Indiana Jones angels don't know whether you saw any of that over Christmas, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. I think, it kind of, it's, I think it kind of becomes a bit, well, blasphemous, really. Um, but at the end, they, they open the ark, uh, and some angels appear. And they're very scary angels. So as we gather, thousands upon thousands of, of angels, worshipping God. When we gather together, we join, the writer says, with the church of the firstborn. So present as well are the souls of the righteous made perfect. In other words, the writer is saying, in heaven there are the spirits of all those who've died in Christ before us, worshipping God. And as we come on a Sunday morning, we are, as it were, joining in heaven's worship, where all those who've gone before us are worshipping God, along with the angels. And in the centre of that worship is the living God Himself. The judge of all. So I don't know whether you ever thought when you come on a Sunday morning of church, you're coming to the mountain. We sort of, you know, maybe we need to get that in our mind that we kind of metaphorically we ascend and we come in and we uh, and we ready ourselves. To worship God, and there is God, the Living God, the Judge of all, uh, surrounded by all those who have died in Christ in faith before us, and thousands and thousands of angels, and we literally join with them in in worship of God. (coughs) How is that possible, and what has made this change? Well, the writer's really clear; it's it's that we're under a new covenant, under a new, under a new mediator who brings better blood. Better blood than the uh, blood of Abel. Now there's an interesting reference. To the sprinkled blood of Jesus that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. You remember Cain and Abel? Uh, right back in Genesis. So uh, <coughs> sons of uh, Adam and Eve. <coughs> they both bring an offering to the Lord, um, but the difference, I think, is that Abel brings first fruits. And it's not clear that Cain does. So Abel's sacrifice accepted Cain's isn't. Cain goes out and murders his brother. And the Lord says to him, what have you done? He says, listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you're under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. So Abel's blood, as it were, is is kind of calling out a curse uh, on, on Cain. Abel's blood um, calls out uh, for vengeance. So we're all people actually under the curse, because we've all sinned. It might not have been murder. And so, as it were, the blood of Cain, there is, there is somewhere along the line someone who has a right to call out vengeance. Vengeance against you, against, against things you've done, not least the, the Lord. So Abel's blood calls out vengeance, but Jesus' blood sprinkled calls out mercy. Jesus' blood says, it is finished. Jesus' blood sprinkled on you says, you're clean. Jesus' blood sprinkled on you says, you're forgiven. So we come on a better blood We come under a better mediator. Forgiveness is always by salvation, uh, is always um, by grace through faith. But under Moses, there were just animal sacrifices and they were repeated again and again, day by day, week by week, month by month. And Hebrews, the writer tells us a couple of chapters earlier, it's because it's impossible for the blood of goats to take away sin. Because they're not actually effective. But when Jesus come an effective sacrifice is made once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous to dare to, uh, to bring you to God. Jesus is a better mediator because he brings a, uh, a better sacrifice, a, a once-for-all sacrifice. And under Moses, sanctification, that change and growth in holiness was by the law from the outside in, which never works. But under Jesus, the better mediator, sanctification is from the inside out by the indwelling Holy Spirit, making you new. And so that's the new Covenant. And that's how things have changed. But the writer, Hebrews, goes on. So a couple of warnings. Things have changed. Yes, we don't, come, we don't come to this mountain that shakes, but we still come to an awesome reality. We still come to a mountain, as it were, which is kind of heaven's worship, um, and we join in. But nevertheless, a couple of warnings, he says, and here they are at verse 25 um, onwards. See to it that you don't refuse him who speaks. If they didn't escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let's be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. So the writer says, we come to a different mountain, but let's not forget. Let's not forget that our God is still a consuming fire. And so there are two two warnings. First is that God still speaks. God still speaks. He says, don't refuse him who speaks. He says that in the present tense, God is still speaking. How is God speaking? He speaks through his word. That's why all that we do on a Sunday morning revolves around his word. We sing it, we pray it, uh, we preach it, we we reflect on it. So it's kind of coming up the 500th anniversary of Luther in the 95 Theses, so here's a Luther quote. Would to God that we would gradually train our hearts to believe that the preacher's words are God's word. It's not an angel or a hundred thousand angels, but the divine majesty himself who is preaching there. To be sure I don't hear this with my ears or see this with my eyes, all I hear is the voice of the preacher, and, and I behold only a, a man before me. But I view the picture correctly if I add that the voice and words of the pastor are not his own words and doctrine, but those of our Lord and God. How would you feel differently about church? You came and thought, God is going to speak. God is going to speak this morning. So that's warning one, God still speaks, we need to listen. Warning two, God will will shake the earth again. Just because the earth is not shaking under our feet, does not mean that God is no longer active. um, Nor that he is no longer bothered about sin. Jesus will return, and on that day the earth and the heavens will be shaken. You could picture it a little bit like a dirty rug and God kind of like grabs it by the end and shakes it and shakes the leaves off and the dust out into the bonfire. So Revelation 21, the cowardly, the unbelieving, note, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, idolaters and all liars will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. But once it's been shaken for a final time, then uh, there will be a new unshakable world in which all that was unshakable remains. Now the stuff that remains once the, uh, the rug has been shaken is all those things that are of God, all those things that God has done uh, for good in your lives and ours will go through um, to that unshakable new creation a world, a new world, undisturbed by sin and failure. God's dwelling place is now among the people, voice says in Revelation, and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. So God will shake the earth again. So what we're going to do, just to sum up, I want you to, uh, in conclusion, use your imagination. Okay. Because we, we meet with the same God in Exodus 19. And Hebrews 12 will tell us that our God is still um, a consuming fire. But we meet with him under a new covenant. We meet him under the blood of Christ. So I want you to prepare for next Sunday. Okay. Okay. And I want you to start, start soon, if you can. Start maybe today. What I'd love you to do is just go and read the first few, first few verses and the last few verses of the reading we read again today. Just imagine what it must have been like. If you get some time, or maybe just take in one of your quiet times this week, just read how God appears in Exodus 19 and just say to yourself, this is my God. This is my God. This is, this is the God I go to meet um, next Sunday. In the week, you see, they had to be ready by washing their clothes. Well, we know later on in the Bible that washing their clothes is a, is a picture of, uh, of living righteously. Maybe in this week, if you've got a measure of who God is, you want to kind of think about what you do if next Sunday I was going to come to kind of Mount Sinai, what would I want to change before I get there? Well, I, I am coming to that same God, albeit under a different covenant. What then do I want to change in the week before I come next time? And then next Sunday morning, Whatever your Sunday mornings look like. And I know with families they can be chaotic and when you're infirm they can just be plain hard work. But maybe we just need to kind of train our hearts a little to come with reverence and, and fear. Yes, fear, because God is here. Maybe we need to come with the expectation that God will speak and come ready to rejoice with the saints and the angels. Gonna pray and then we're gonna sing. Father God, we we confess that our view of you is too small. We forget your awesome majesty. We forget your reactivity to sin. And we forget that you are worshipped wholeheartedly and loudly by thousands and thousands of angels and by the saints that have gone before us. And we confess, Lord, that our worship is sometimes a little bit insipid in comparison. And we ask you today and this week to help us see you as we are and worship you with all our hearts.